This is Set Aside Some Time, an MSPN podcast, and it's brought to you by the National MSP Network, or MSPN for short. And now, on to the episode. Hello, everybody, and thank you for setting aside some time today to meet with our esteemed guests here to talk about ORM and all the implications of ongoing responsibility for medical for Section 111 reporting. Uh, my name is Bridget Smith. I'm your host for today's podcast. I am the Senior Vice President of Settlement Consulting and National Accounts for Impacts. And today with me, I have Beth Hostetler, who's the Director of Medicare Services and Corporate Risk Management at Albertsons. She's been in the business uh, a long while, and Beth, Beth is an expert at so many things Medicare. And I also have with me Frank Fairchalk, and Frank is my colleague here at Impacts. He is the Vice President of Medicare Section 111 Reporting Services, and he also has been involved with Section 111 really since its implementation has been instrumental in that. So thank you both for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Bridget, and MSPN. Great. So today we are going to dive into ORM and I thought we'd start off with something that's relatively new and that's the unsolicited response file. Frank, can you tell us a little bit for those listening in what what that really is in a nutshell and what it's meant to do? Sure, Bridget. So this is this is fairly new um, from from C, from CMS, right? It's it, it's an attempt to give the RRE uh, information when the beneficiary has had an impact on the reported claim around ORM. So we just saw this functionality come into play. The first month that it rolled out was July, 2023. And uh, the RRE has to opt into receiving the information, but what the RRE will receive is a monthly report delivered on the second Sunday of each month through the COBSW, the Coordination of Benefits website, that will give the RE information where a beneficiary or an authorized representative of that beneficiary has called in to the BCRC and has made a change, right? BCRC being instrumental in being the gatekeeper for that change uh, to the ORM termination for that record. And I think it's important to, to, to realize, right, as we, we talk about that, because it's there's been a lot of buzz in the industry, like what's going on here? How can beneficiaries change their information? So the impact to the record, right, is, is on, it, it, it's not going to impact the recovery side. It's there to help the beneficiary receive treatment, right? So it's on the treatment side of the information is where the impact is, is, is going to occur. But CMS is providing that report so that the RRE can understand that there, there has been a change out there and the RRE can utilize that information to figure out whether they have to make changes on the reported side, on the recovery side of that data as well. Thank you, Frank. And, and, and Beth, is this something that, that, uh, that you have uh, partaken in yet? I know we have to sign up for this. Is this something that you think RREs should sign up for? And is it something that, that you think would be beneficial for them to do? 
Well, the, the quick answer is absolutely yes. I think it's beneficial to an IRE. You know, the way, you know, when it first came out and we heard about this, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, another thing, another change. But for me, whenever I have to deal with something difficult, um, my mantra is um, knowledge is power. Right. And it gives us the ability to um, be proactive, not necessarily reactive. Um, and the, met, the information is critical, obviously, to our claim and ensuring accurate coordination of benefits. So um, the other side of that is, um, given that it's only been a month, I am in the process of working with my reporting agent. Um, Albertsons is a combination of an insured and a, a self-insured program. I have uh, multiple uh, RREs. And so I'm working to register for that now. What I can say is um, just really, again, it's only been uh, 30 days. We just hit 32 days since this was initiated. And I had a couple claims of recent where an, uh, a beneficiary's access to medical care, although it was an unrelated issue, was in question. It was an alternate side body part. And of course, the claims adjuster reached out to me. And in the midst of trying to solve this, we recently, as a matter of fact, just today got a letter, which looks like it was as a result of the beneficiary making an update to their ORM. And oh. again, the, the major feature is for uh, dealing with termination of ORM. And that's what was done. Um, so yes, uh, I definitely feel RREs um, need to do this. In speaking with some other colleagues in the field of recent, and again, 30 days is not a good judge of anything. Right. Uh, it's hard to know how impactful this will be to us, uh, how much we're going to be getting. Um, I heard Again, anecdotally, through some large insurers, it hasn't been that much in 30 days. But again, they may not know about this. There, it needs more time to work through the system. And I think in six to 12 months, we'll have a much better idea of, of how this is impacting us, what specific changes we can make uh, to CMS on recommendations, both you know, from a technical perspective. Yeah, those are, that's thank you for that information, Beth. Because you're right, it is it is so relatively new, and I know Frank. Even CMS came out and said there was some confusion about blank files, right? There, there was. So yeah, the the, the first set of files did come out uh, in July, and there there was some concern that was expressed back to CMS because um, if you didn't have any changes, right, that that were recorded for the for the last 30 days, then you might have received a blank file with, with no information in it. I, I think it's it's probably important also to, to take this in the context of you know, how CMS is presenting data in general, right? So the first file is in July. It's only 30 days you know, prior to that, that report date that CMS is, is providing. The, the other part of this, right, is is that there's no historical data to look at. So you, you could have changes that were made 
you're not going to get that information if, if those changes were made, you know, in in the past. And CMS is only providing these updates. I, I found this to be be kind of interesting. So you're only going to get this update if you've reported the claim record in the last year. So if you did report something several years ago and the beneficiary made an update to it, that is, should not appear on, on the report. So there are some limitations around mm -hmm. that, but yes, the, the, the empty file did, did, did cause some concern. Uh, I think there is, you know, to best point, it's gonna take some time for RREs to determine what, what the value is around the, this data. Yeah. But but you know in true you know CMS fashion right there was some some uh, wording in one of the webinars that they gave and, and they strongly encouraged right RREs to, to opt in and also right the, the the statement that RREs are ultimately responsible for the accuracy of, of their data so I think it's worth an RRE to look into this process you, you might get a lot you might you might not get a lot but I think. You know, taking that data and, and and trying to see how to incorporate that in your process is valuable because if the beneficiary is terminating ORM and you have the capability mm -hmm. of terminating ORM on the recovery side as well, you know that that that's possibly you know a, a good benefit that could save uh, you know in a lot of different places, right? You save save money and 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 risk in a number of different places. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And I think that's that's a flip side of it because I, I I think a lot of people are looking. Well, what if what if the uh, and Beth, you just pointed out, what if the beneficiary is terminating ORM and it's really not consistent with what's going on in the file? But the other way to look at it is what, like you said, Frank, what if there is actually an opportunity to terminate that you didn't realize, but it comes to fruition when you get that information? So that's an, that's an interesting way to look at it. And I think one of the things that I'm curious about is what if the information is wrong and then you report that to CMS and then the claimant, can they go back and, and recall about it? I mean, when does that stop? And CMS kind of addressed that, right, on their call. Yeah, yeah I, I think... I think there there is there is a there's a concern around that right we we've we've heard the concern not only the questions that were posed to CMS on, on the webinar, but right having having the beneficiary have that capability, right to 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 terminate that ORM, right is that going to cause issues? All sorts of questions come out of that right. What what are the responsibilities you know that come out of that? Are there civil money penalty you know considerations around that? But I, I think that um, we're, it's going to take some time, right, for everyone to get used to seeing this data, figuring out what to do with it. Um, you know, I, I think it, it, just disseminating this information, right, throughout the industry is going to take take some time, right. There are always uh, those that are on, right, the, the the very brink of everything new that comes comes out and and starts to adopt it, and then others won't even be, be aware that, that that there's this data that that's out there. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, there. Hopefully they're listening to this podcast and and and, and getting some great information about it. But uh, yeah, I think I think your your point is 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 right on, Bridget. Right? What is you know the, the two sides of this? Like what what? How do you put a process together that really validates what's going on from the beneficiary side? But if if it does present an an opportunity to modify your data down the road, you know, then that might be something that's worth looking into. Right, so ORM termination is always one of those areas that is 
you know, of interest. And it's, you know, in a way it's so complicated, right, to, to make sure you're doing it right. And yet on the on the beneficiary side, right, if they answer the questions correctly, right, the BCRC is going is going to modify that record um, on the on the treatment side. Right, right. And you, Frank, you lead us into our, our next topic, which is kind of the bane of the, of the podcast is that expansion of ORM termination. And CMS gave us uh, a few years back the ability to terminate um, based upon uh, non-treatment for a period of, of five years and the uh, amount spent for medical less than 25 um, on the case. If you both and, and Beth, uh, if you had your druthers, um, would you like to see that ORM termination expanded to other areas that make sense on claims as well? Well, I think the, my overall, I guess, wish list, <laughs> if I just put one thing out there is, uh, I'm just gonna go out on the limb and say, um, a termination uh, of ORM, after a period of time, maybe five, seven years, that's exclusive of a dollar amount, because I think it's a very significant when a, when a beneficiary doesn't treat for that period of time. That being said, um, I would take, I would like to see an expansion then of the $25,000. Beth, I, I couldn't agree. have my first wish. Right. And you know what? I agree with you. I agree with you so much. And I think you're, you're, a lot of people are thinking the same things because claim costs, right? If, if someone just treats a little bit, um, you know, can easily go up to $25,000. That's right. not hard, right? Yes. So that's not hard. But I, I love what you said about the five years. It is significant if someone doesn't treat in five years. I mean, yes. that's, that says something about what's going on in the case. Um, so I, I, I would agree with you. I, I, love to see yeah, that and maybe even well. a, a you know a tiered kind of thing oh that's you know with correspond you know corresponding dollar values but i think you know if somebody hasn't treated in five and seven years that's pretty significant right and, and maybe, again you know maybe we need to look at diagnostic categories but in general you know i think it's very limiting what we have yeah, Frank, and you've looked at the ORM termination criteria. Would do you agree that the it, you know it is somewhat limited and and maybe expansion would be would be appropriate in certain situations? I I think so, Bridget. I, you know, as we as we just talked about with the unsolicited uh, response file, right? We're the beneficiary, right? If they're going to be questioned when they when they call in right to the BCRC, mm -hmm. you know, are they still being treated? Is is the case still ongoing? You know, are policy limits exhausted? Is there a physician release? I think right. It's it seems like CMS is it has loosened up on the beneficiary side at least you know without without coming back to the recovery side. But I'd like to see the recovery side. I think be loosened up a bit as, as well, right? You know, as Beth said, that 25,000 is there. The five years, maybe we could reduce that, reduce that down five years, you know, for, for treatment. But I'd like to just, um, you know, throw something that's related to th this topic as well, is that the, um, the ORM assumption criteria, right, ch changed recently in the right. user as well. And so I, I think REs should take a look at 
their, the, the, the criteria that they're using to report ORM to Medicare because Medicare did add the, um, the sentence that said, and when a beneficiary receives medical treatment related to the injury or illness to the user guide, right? So you, you could potentially, right, we're talking about ORM termination, but let's, let's review when we're assuming ORM in the first place and, make, and seeing if we can reduce the number of cases that get reported to, to, to Medicare. Um, this, this helps, right? This particular wording helps for both workers comp, right? And it also helps for no fault. We don't generally have ORM in liability, um, mm -hmm. but we, it, it, it falls very much in alignment with the work comp exclusion, right? Under the $750 medical and, and you know, the day's lost time criteria that we've got there. So I think, right, utilizing this new wording, and I realize that, that there is, you know, there's a lot of conversation in, industry-wide around did this create more confusion right. or did it provide clarity? I, and I think we're going to find out, you know, we're going to get some clarity from, from CMS on, on this, but how you're assuming ORM in the first place is, is potentially, uh, would be potentially beneficial to you not having to terminate it in, in the future. Frank, thank you for bringing that up because that, 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 you know, that development, I, with CMS, I know it was meant to be to help uh, RREs with with ORM and not accept it too prematurely and and over report. But yeah, there there was some confusion on that. So, um, but that's a very good point about you know first look to see if you are in need of reporting ORM at this point on the case. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, also, you know, just if 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 I could see on a wish list too with the ORM termination, I think we've kind of gotten a little bit away from the magic language when it comes to providers, right? And, and them saying exactly that, that you know, there's no future treatment, but it's still gray. There's still a lot of cases out there that are, are gray. And, and Beth, you brought up a really good point about looking at the diagnosis too. So if someone has a, a broken wrist, and the provider doesn't say, you know, you need for, you know, you don't need any additional treatment, but their wrist fracture is healed, you know, can it be, can we look at those types of things without necessarily a, a provider giving the, the, the blessing on it? So that's absolute, yeah, no further treatment needed, but based upon a review of the medical records and where they're at, one can assume that, um, there is not further medical treatment. Um, I think, you know, again, uh, getting to our last topic of civil monetary penalties, I know we try. Uh, I know categorically we have terminated cases uh, in situations like that. Um, I like to see that documentation, um, that we have that in writing from the physician, that they have, you know, actually specified that. Um, or on the other side, as we were talking about on wish list, is maybe approaching CMS on some change on language on that, that we don't have to have an absolute statement that says dated, no future medical treatment. Yeah, I, I, think, I think so many people uh, would want that. And it doesn't have to be, you know, it, it can be structured enough to meet CMS guidelines, but but give a little bit of 
of room for REs who who don't always get that exact, yep. you know, that exact certification. So it's I, tough I, because you know I think in this world with the claims examiners, um, there's so much on their plate, and so right. much of this happens at the desk level, and you know, Section 111 is so critical to you know, every aspect now of Medicare compliance. And it really begins with the claims examiner. So it's quite a bit on them. Uh, so, I, you know, just looking at more globally from a director and program oversight perspective, the more we can do as an organization to help this process and ease some of the burdens, because it, it is really, really challenging, I think, for the claims teams. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more with you. And you're right. It really starts there, Beth. It really starts with, uh, you know, with the claims professional and them inputting the information and and putting on their Section 111 hat and then taking it off and putting on the claims hat, right? It can be two different hats sometimes. So it's a lot. Um, you did mention civil monetary penalties. So I thought we'd kind of end with that. And get your thoughts on that. How First, how do you think people can prepare if if civil monetary penalties um, do exist in February of 2024 or before that? What do you think people can do now to prepare for that? REs. Shall I go, Frank, or? Absolutely, Beth, go ahead. Um, you know, obviously we've been dealing with Section 111 for a long time and, you know, uh, civil monetary penalties are right around the corner. So I'm hoping for those uh, like me uh, on the payer side that you have a program in place that addresses all aspects of MSP compliance um, because it's so interrelated. If you don't, I suggest that you do and that you develop benchmarks uh, and key performance indicators in all the areas of MSP compliance, starting with Section 111, because you know the old adage, garbage in is garbage out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it starts again at that desk level, you know, when we accept these claims. Um, having, um, as I said, key performance indicators on Section 111. What is your process? What is your workflow for appropriate identification of ICD-10 codes? That's so critical to me. Um, and I see it every single day now on review of conditional payments. I'm picking up more and more. Well, we have not added an appropriate body part. Conversely, we've not deleted a body part that was subsequently deemed non not compensable. Um, the interrelationship of all that with, you know, our MSAs. Everything should be consistent between our identified codes, what you know, our 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 identified diagnoses on MSAs, and again the interrelationship with conditional payments. So, you know, I have workflows for all of those areas, expectations, training regularly on that. Um, doing a training this week again on Medicare and reinforcing many aspects now of Section 111 reporting, because this is right around the corner. I will be developing, Frank, I may be reaching out to you, um, on the workflow on the unsolicited response file. 
Again, not knowing uh, the volume that we're going to be dealing with. You know, uh, I'm a one-person uh, shop in terms of oversight of Medicare compliance. So workflows need to be developed for your particular organizations on things like that, on how that's going to be handled. And then again, bringing it back to the desk level because they need to be aware of it. Beth, that, thank you so much for sharing that because I think that resonates with a lot of people who will be listening to this podcast who are dealing with those same issues that, that you are and having to oversee the entire program. So those were really great uh, pieces of advice and uh, thank you for sharing that. Frank, what about you? What, what, are, you, what are your thoughts on, on getting ready for for these potential penalties, you know this is this this is one of my favorite topics, right? So, you know, having you know going back to 2010 in this area, right? I don't think I've been asked a question more often than, you know, when is CMS going to penalize? How are they going to penalize? Mm -hmm. So, you know, Beth, you know, I think you you brought up some really great points, right? The the adjusters, the claims professionals, right? They're a lot of this is sitting on their shoulders, right? They're, they are the ones that are out there putting information into fields that could trigger these CMPs, you know, down, right. downstream. So, you know, having consistency in, in processes, reviewing data, reviewing, reviewing those processes and training those folks that, so that, you know, that they understand the, the, the risk involved with bad data, incomplete data, but the timeliness of the data as well. But I will say, so, you know, we, what, what, what do we know about the, the rulemaking, right? We know what the proposed rule had in it. It's been a while, right? CMS has gone into this extension. We could see something, you know, February or, or, or earlier. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, you know, I've often, I'm always skeptical of when things don't, don't happen in a timely basis. Is there an issue going on there, right? Is, is there something else going, going on? But we know what the proposed rule looks like. If CMS hasn't, they got a lot of feedback, right? They, if you went right. and look at all the responses that went, went to them in 2020, they received a ton of feedback. So we don't know if the, the rule that's out there looks like it did when they shared it with us, but we know what was in there, right? And so I'm gonna just quickly kind of run down what I think are, we have three main areas, right? Two of yeah. them, Two of them, right? We sh no organization should have two of those areas produce penalties, right? If if you are are if you are submitting quarterly files to CMS and getting and hitting that error threshold, that is something that can be programmatically locked down, right? There are ways to go around that. So hopefully nobody gets hit with with a penalty because they submitted four quarters of, of files and hit the error threshold on all of those. One of the other areas is around late TPOC reporting. Well, mm -hmm. if you if you have a good process and you're monitoring that process, that shouldn't happen either, right? Those are those are two areas that that are can be easily locked down you know, between your operations team and your IT team. You can you can figure that out. The area that always concerns me the most is, is where they, they've stated that if your section 111 reporting contradicts the recovery process, right? Because that's all that data that the adjusters are handling. You know, it's what ICD codes went in. It's what, you know, dates were put into, into the claim fields, right? That's the one that always worries me the most because 
you know, it's not uncommon to hear something like, well, we take our ICD codes off of the bills that, that, that we've received, right? And if you're reporting 15 ICD codes and you only should have reported three, and that comes out in the recovery process, that I think that's the, that's the harder part to really wrap yourself around is what is the quality of the data that's actually going right. on those reports? That's so, my number one thing, Frank, on. Yeah. Um, it's a no-no to look at a, just a bill <laughs> because uh, as we know, many codes are listed that are not related. Um, so it's critical, I think, the data integrity of the ICD-10 code. And I think that would be one of the major things that I stress is, is ICD-10 accuracy and, and evolution of the claim, because that's that's one of the, the things that I probably see the most as the claim evolves and additional body parts are deemed compensable. At least in the system that we have, there's not a, any automatic trigger or flag. It's reliant on a diary and adjust your input. And as you said, Frank, the, the area on the contradiction, key, it's key. Um, Beth, I was gonna, I was gonna add on one, one more thing. You know, if I, if I were giving advice, right, I, over the you know many years, right, I've seen a lot of activity around the preparation of the the quarterly submission. And I think that's that's you know that's got to be done. But what I think an RE should also do is make sure you're looking at the results file from CMS. Take a look at what's what's coming back, right? Because thank you, Frank. I was going to say, work with your RRE. Look at those reports now. See the areas that you know um, you're exceeding threshold. Um, get feedback from your RRE. Get recommendations from that. What can we be doing differently? All Absolutely. great point. Yeah. All great point. The last thing I would mention, Bridget, I mean, it's oh, it's available. I did it uh, many back in 2016, where we had a change in our program to a new TPA. And with that data migration, there was some problems. And I did utilize um, a company to do an audit of my Section 111 reporting uh, for accuracy, particularly uh, regarding ORM issues. And I had 15, we did an audit of over 15,000 claims. So that is available. And you can do that sort of thing to help guide you if necessary. Yeah, and Beth, that's a great point. Uh, an, an audit is a great tool for um, REs or, or TPAs or what have you. I mean, it is a really self-insured. Um, because as you said, garbage in, garbage out, and the audit, it really deals with the substance of what you're reporting, which CMS won't tell you that you put in the wrong ORM termination date or the wrong TPOC amount. Audits will tell you that. Yeah, those yes. are the things that, you know, can have a real impact. Well, uh, thank you both for your, for your time today. Uh, this was such great information. It was so nice spending time with both of you. And um, we will have another podcast coming out soon on practice tips for allocators. So thank you again, Beth and Frank. And thank you, everyone who joined us today. We appreciate it. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.